Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 370. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we look at our closet for the 500th time and think, oh my god, I really need to go through this, and you don't. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, and I am endlessly thinking about reorganizing and getting rid of stuff, and today we're actually going to talk about Marie Kondo, the icon of getting rid of stuff, and what her house looks like today. We'll also talk about the evolution of queer baiting, and we'll look at a couple whose level of partying has changed over time. Um, today's panel is... Uh, it's a dream. It's just a dream panel. I am joined um, by, for the very first time, joined by a columnist at the Boston Globe. Um, she also has a new podcast called Say More with Shirley Leung. Uh, and it's n- named that way because we are, in fact, joined by the one and only Shirley Leung. Hey, Shirley. Hey, Nagin. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be on your podcast. Oh, so exciting to have you. And join us. You've heard her on the show before. Uh, she's just, uh, I mean, just an incredible comedian, an incredible actor, an incredible writer. You've seen her just uh, everywhere being the icon that she is. And also you can see her on tour with the Live and Livid show. Um, she is 
probably coming to a city near you. It is the one and only Margaret Cho. Hey, Margaret. Hi. Hi. Great to be back. Thank you. So excited to have you. And before we get into the show, I just want to remind listeners, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And um, you get bonus episodes. We posted an episode about a guy who has rats for pets. And we really got into it. And there's a lot of thoughts about whether or not you should have a rat as a pet, never mind multiple rats. So these are the kind of gems you get at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. So go and subscribe. Um, And I just also want to mention that we're recording this show very early. We don't normally don't do this because we try and kind of follow the news cycle. Um, So you're going to get some stories um, that are kind of more uh, generally from the cultural vault, Um, but they are fantastic. And then don't worry because next week, Whatever happened, we'll discuss it. But you know what? Let's just hope nothing really happens. That it's just like a boring summer uh, week and that we're all chilling. So let's get into it with topic number one. Okay, so you guys, Marie Kondo is messy now. She finds joy in a messy house, and she says keeping her home neat is no longer a priority now that she has three children. I mean, my first question is really, what the fuck? And do you feel betrayed? Because I sort of do. I don't know. Uh, Margaret, Did you ever? were you ever a, a Marie Kondoite? Did any of this... Or did you ever aspire to be somewhere vaguely in the back of your mind, but never did it? I tried it. You know, I tried a little bit and I thought it was really helpful. And then it reminded me of how much junk I have and how much I am really an over consumer. And so it did help me kind of assess like how much I hoard and do. But I also kind of got a little bit bored of it. I think I I do like a bit of clutter. To me, it actually is very familiar and normal. I think um, my parents were such incredible neat freaks that it made me feel unsafe when everything was so neat and clean because there was just such emotional chaos <laughs> in my home. <laughs> right. So all of the mess actually, you know, I'm the only person who lives in my house and I create the mess. So to me, it's not mess. It's just I put it there and I'm fine with it. But also Marie Kondo has the right to her own life. She is really about whatever sparks joy. So her joy right now comes from the mess of her kids, which I think is great. So I I bought the book, right? I bought the book when it came out and I read it. and, uh, you know, I, I followed it for, uh, you know, a couple weeks. You know, remember remember the part where the, she folds her underwear a special way? <laughs> I mean, that mm-hmm. was kind of crazy. But I have to say, um, notice that in her, the stories about Marie Kondo being messy, there was no photographic evidence. Okay. I, oh, that's I, did not, true. That's I didn't true. see any photos of, of her messiness. And, and let's be clear. I mean, Maria, Marie Kondo's messiest day is, is my neatest. Okay. So, <laughs> so I actually, I don't, I don't think I quite buy it that she's messy now. Maybe messy for her, mm. but not for the rest of mm-hmm. us. Right. A friend mm-hmm. of mine, like, moved into a new apartment and had people over, and it looked, you know, everything looked perfect. And then a couple months later, had people, this, uh, another, the same people over. And they, and one of them said, oh, like, your apartment looks 
um, it looks great now. It looks a little lived in. And she was traumatized. Like, she does not want her place to look lived in at all. Like, she does want it to look like a museum piece, you know? Um, and so I thought that was, you know, so I was like, but it still looked perfect, right? Everything still kind of, like, looked just so. And I was like, oh, wow, like, her concept of a mess is so... And what, what embarrasses her is, like, is the, the bar is so high. I mean, the rest of us... It couldn't possibly. Um, so I think you're right. Marie's con- Marie Kondo's idea of a mess is uh, is different. This is what she said in the piece about it. She um, the, the the coverage on it. Uh, we read something in the Washington Post. She wrote. She said, up until now, I was a professional tidier, so I did my best to keep home, my home tidy at all times. I've kind of given up on that in a good way for me. Now I realize what's important to me is enjoying spending time with my children at home. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I think your assessment, Margaret, is really right on. Like, she's just she, her thing was about the definition of joy, not not necessarily. It's like it's okay that her de- definition of joy has evolved. Yeah. That means because it's also uh, the point of her method is like, let's just keep around what makes us happy. And so that doesn't necessarily define what the space is going to look like to other people. You know, it's like her, her, I think the whole thing is like, let's only keep around our atmosphere what gives us happiness. And that's actually a really great way to look at life. Like, like, then if there's things that we don't aren't happy about or are there just a byproduct of laziness, that's another thing. That's something you can take away. But if everything about her life is making her happy, then she's actually fully living the Marie Kondo lifestyle still. Yeah. I, and I think your point about like what level of a consumer are you is really well taken because that's something that as, you know, I, I feel like I go in these waves where – I'm I'm currently dealing with like a deadline that's just driving me crazy and I'm just trying to get through this gig basically and it's a writing deadline and um non-union don't worry about it and uh, <laughs> I'm not breaking any I'm not breaking I'm not walking over any lines um and and it's it's one of these things where I start to feel like some kind of stress or pressure and then I kind of end up buying outfits as a result. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. It's like my way of like handling. And then I'll be like, oh, I don't like I don't need to buy these things. Yeah. I have so many clothes. What am I doing? You know, and I make excuses. Well, I perform and I need to wear a different outfit. Like I, I cook up all these reasons. Um, but it does. I I I do I start to feel like very bad about the kind of consumerism that why is my consumerism also tied to making me you know feel better somehow just giving me like some kind of a dopamine hit like that's so sinister that my body does that you know what I mean no I I stress by a lot as well especially you know I've had a hard week maybe I go online and I uh, start to shop, uh, put things, a lot of things in my cart. Maybe I won't buy them, but it makes me feel better. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I was wondering about, um, you know, this this whole thing about decluttering, I wonder if it changed during the pandemic, you know? I mean, I feel like you went Ooh, one of two ways, right? Okay. One was like, you, 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 there was nowhere to go. So there were all these stories of, you didn't need Maria Kondo to tell, Kondo to tell you to clean out your house. A lot of people were doing it on their own. Right. So suddenly you have a lot of people with very clean houses. And so they don't don't need to watch her show or buy any more of her books. Right. Um, So and then other people just 
embrace their messiness. I mean, we, we in my household, we did both, uh, you know, because we didn't have people coming over. Um, uh, you know, I have two little kids. We didn't have any house guests. We didn't entertain. So we let ourselves go. I mean, it was like gray gardens. I mean, we had just pile, <laughs> you know, stuff piled up on the dining room table. You know, we're all, you know, two people working from home, you know, kids for some time were, um, you know, at schooled at home. So it was a huge mess. Um, and, I think maybe in 2022, we realized we, we need some help. We need to do something here. So we actually rented a dumpster and we just mm. cleaned out our house. I mean, it's still not clean. We only got through, I think, the basement and the garage and that was it. And But we spent $600 mm-hmm. getting, a, you know, renting a dumpster and just cleaning out. I mean, now we want to do it again. We have enough stuff. We, we haven't cleaned out stuff in 10 years. We still have like baby strollers and my kids are 10 and 12. Oh my God. Well, see, that's the problem. This is a this is a uniquely other parts of the country the, other than New York City problem because we have just this one little space for a stroller and we're die. I mean, we're like at the point basically where we can get rid of it. We're just like waiting for the summer to end and then we were, we're going to give it away. But like in New York City, you can't be too like committed to anything. Yeah. You I can't have be friends a hoarder. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you, just, <laughs> you just cannot be a hoarder in New York City, not with this square footage. Like I have friends that keep all the artwork of their kids like, you know, every day every day they come home with artwork or whatever from elementary school and i'm like how is that even possible like they co- they make <laughs> such a ridiculous amount of just shit and you know after you've gotten a bunch of squiggly lines you know once you, you kind of get it you kind of get it for the age group you know um so i think the uh, but but i like the idea that like the pandemic kind of made people embrace a maybe messier like or in I think some cases it's, it's sort of like what the pandemic did with what some people like lost a ton of weight but then some people gained a ton of weight it was like right. I, your response to the thing had this you know this 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 variance um did Margaret did you have any like shifts of tidiness um from the pandemic I think what it made me realizes like how much I mindlessly buy because mm-hmm. I um will look at social media i'll buy things off of social media like and i have i really had to make a hard like rule for myself is to only purchase things that were just like very distinctly sustainable which made them a lot more expensive Mm -hmm. i'm talking about clothing mostly yeah or um things that were vintage or secondhand and um also things that were reimagined so uh, reworked right um and that actually cut my buying quite a lot when i wasn't purchasing things that um not necessarily even fast fashion but things that were just new so i i had i because re- i had so much of a backlog of like old fast fashion old, old things that were new old things that just didn't have that same kind of value so now i do spend more on clothing, but I buy yeah. less. Overall. I feel like that's the, the the shift that happened with me in general because I ha- my little rule is I, I I basically only buy things in person. Um, oh at stores. wow! So I support. Great. That's yeah, great. So wow, like that's I, a good rule. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. Heard of that one because also it's more fun. Like it is more fun, and and also you don't end up like getting a thing that doesn't fit or whatever. Right. Like you just work all that stuff out of the store. Like it's just I'm very old fashioned that way. 
Um, but it also means that I just don't, I, it's like I don't mindlessly do the thing. And I, and I was once, and I talked about it on the show before, where I was once conned into like buying a thing off of Instagram. And it just was the most embarrassing product and i and it and it arrived and i was just like what was i thinking this thing so it was like tights that are some, supposed to that are for the winter that are supposed to look this is so embarrassing that are supposed to look like you're wearing pantyhose <laughs> okay but they're like oh yeah yeah, yeah. and and it's, <laughs> i was like why am i even who cares if it looks like i'm wearing tights or pantyhose you know what i mean what am i doing and the whole th- that actually created a a, a, a rift in the space-time continuum for me that purchase <laughs> where like and then I was just like in a different timeline after that where I was like I'm never going back to that other timeline I can't do it it's so mm-hmm. embarrassing um okay folks are tell me what are your thoughts on Marie Kondo and her evolution have you joined her in this evolution were you ever a condoite I'm so curious hit me up and in the meantime we're gonna take a quick break so we can hear about our sponsors and then we're gonna come back I am the type of person that has subscribed to things, and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app, and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money, and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you, so you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and rocket money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. So, um, I guess we're... I don't know, we're kind of getting used to queer baiting when it comes to celebrities. People like Harry Styles um, have been accused of being in this camp. Uh, maybe they're redefining manhood for themselves. I don't know. But the pressure on celebrities seems to have increased. Um, so first of all, I, uh, um, how would, I guess let's describe what queer baiting is um, and and talk about how it's kind of ramped up in recent months and years it's gay cosplay in order to um pick up the instruments of gayness in order to almost uh sharpen your sense of heterosexuality like i am so secure in my heterosexuality that i can play gay and use it as this artifice as a way to um strike my heteronormativity into relief. There's a, uh, there's a reflective quality about it, but also I think it's beautiful. Like I actually really enjoy it. I love the androgyny of rock in mm-hmm, general mm-hmm. and I've always appreciated it. So I don't know if it's so much um, a negative thing, but I, it, I guess it is that we as queers so hunger for representation that is uh, meaningful and that is uh, not necessarily performative, but in, in queer baiting, it, it lends to that. So it's a, I think it's a really complex issue. It's a little bit like a new school way of looking at outing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like outing was a very controversial thing in like the Y2K era. Right. When you're talking about celebrity and who's gay and who's right. not in, you know, that outing of people was actually a very um, controversial idea. There's a lot of radical gay theory was about, well, you should be outing people because they should be absolutely proud to be gay. And then you need to force them into this role. And that necessarily wasn't productive or appropriate at, in the time or even now. So it's, um, it's complicated. I like queer baiting, but I can see where it has uh, a certain population offended. It, it's the weaponization of queer baiting that's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, you know, and, and people using it, uh, I, I guess, making people feel uncomfortable, I, I guess, in the, the case of actors, right, or actors or uh, musicians, people who are, uh, I guess, in the spotlight, I mean, forcing them to, to kind of you know, out themselves or or declare their sexuality. I mean, that that's the bad part of it, right? And I agree with Margaret. I mean, it, it's so great that, um, you know, that, that people, that uh, people, you know, queers can be represented and, and can be, you know, seen as part of the mainstream, you know, um, versus... Um, you know, being forced to be outed, you know, which which I think was horrible. I mean, I mean, not that long ago. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's 20, 30 years ago. People, uh, you know, you, you might not be able to get a you might not be able to make it in Hollywood. Right. If if you if you were gay. And so uh, and so now it's it's embraced. But I think you have to do it on your that, that it's I think someone's sexual orientation. It's it's they own it. They They should be able to decide when they tell the world. 
or not, right? Right. And, w- and there's a there was a Vice piece that we looked at for this, and it talked about a young celebrity like Kit Connor, who was the star of Heartstopper, and he felt forced to come out, and mm-hmm. he recently posted something saying, quote, I'm bi. Congrats for forcing an 18-year-old to out himself. Um, and in that situation, it felt like... I wonder, like, what kind of choices did he have, if any, in this in that kind of pressuring situation? And I also wonder if the pressuring felt different generationally. Like, I wonder if mm. an 18-year-old, like, you know, 25 years ago would have felt the same pressure as this 18-year-old who's probably terminally online, you know, feels today mm-hmm. you know I, I what what did what did you make of that of this kind of forced outing it's interesting because it's like also up to question the unsaid thing is do we think it's okay if people who are straight playing queer characters mm-hmm. so that's under that's what's yeah. not being said underneath it all and I think it, it's really kind of I would rather see a queer actor play a queer role. That's kind of always going to be my impetus in general, as I think just to have witnessed cinema for so long, it's like, okay to show our our stories, but we can't even play ourselves. Mm -hmm. And this also goes for Asian. Right, this happened to Asian Americans, right? We were often played by white actors. (laughs) White people. (laughs) By by Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) I mean, I think it's, you know, it's just like, the same sort of thing. So, but underneath it all, it's like, well, we, it, it, we uh, sort of um, now are looking to actually diversify cinema and make it so that, you know, these actors are given the opportunity. So that's kind of, um, I think, what's underneath it all. And then is the, what about a queer actor playing a straight person? Where where do you? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, they should. <laughs> Why not? You know, I think absolutely, because that's totally a, a role. And it, it's it's buy, you buy it. You know, if I, I want an actor to be good, too. So I think it's just like that's going to I'm going to believe it. Right. And as a queer person, we often have to take on heteronormative roles in society, in life. So it's a way that we can be perceived to to have a right to exist. So many of us. So I think, um, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because like, I wasn't around for the David Bowie phenomenon of the whatever that whenever that was, the 70s. But I, I wonder it like it's funny because I, I, I don't I don't know what the discourse was around it. But was he was was he queer baiting or was he just a guy with like expansive taste? You know what I mean? That was just sort of like I think both. Right. Both. I think both are true. I think that. um he was queer baiting as not necessarily um, a, a way to uh, convey his own desires, but then his own desires followed that too. So I think they're both things. I think queer baiting for him was a way to show how transgressive he was as an artist, not necessarily conforming to anything other than like it, it is like he really was the alien um, that he what like was a Ziggy. So I don't know how it is sort of perceived now. David Bowie is sort of like very picked apart and looked at culturally. But the, the time was so um, flexible. The 70s was really interesting because there was so much about sexuality that was really 
being redefined that we can't even imagine the openness yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, I feel like now also where there's this kind of wave of, I don't know, there's like gender fluidity, almost sexual mm-hmm. orientation fluidity that's happening. So um, kind of the, the lines are being blurred all around. And um, I mean, I thought, Margaret, you know, I didn't even think about, um, you know, should, um, you know, LGBT actors and actresses, should they be playing, um, you know, gay characters and lesbian characters? You're right. They probably should be because they probably don't get enough jobs. They don't they aren't represented enough. They, and and it seems to, to me they should be they should get those jobs and they should not be played by straight mm-hmm. people or as much as possible not by be played by straight people. Mm-hmm. I think it adds like an actress queerness adds to the role, but also because we're forced to act in society as hetero for so mm-hmm. much of our time. Mm-hmm. Right that we'd be appropriate in the other role as well. Um, I also, it's it's interesting, like, I wonder about, like, the response. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I, I think about when, um, like, I'm, I'm not a celebrity. If anything, I'm just, like, a occasionally known public radio personality. <laughs> so, like, it's, like, a very different set of pressures. But, you know, because of my work in, um, with uh, with the Muslim community and like you know making movies like the Muslims are coming and um in my last book or whatever, I did get attacked on far right publications, and this is different from queer baiting obviously, but it, the attack feeling is similar, um because it would be, I would be in Breitbart or I would be in Daily Caller or something and they would call me an Islamo fascist and they would start articles Nagin Farsad Islamo fascist whatever whatever and then so then that they would basically send an army of then people that would tweet at me I would go on uh on on conservative talk radio as a as an effort to bridge the gap or whatever and by and large that was a a positive experience, but in some cases, I would get an army of people who would then, you know, just attack me for days. They would attack me on Twitter, um, Facebook, or whatever, and um, and my my response was either to ignore them or to write back, like, you know, I, you know, thanks so much for like visiting my Twitter page or whatever. Like I would just say something mm-hmm. that was just like friendly and kind of boring, like that they didn't, it's like, what? And then they would try and be like, yeah, well, you're a libtard or whatever. And I'd be like, thank you so much again for taking the time to respond. Like, <laughs> and they would just get bored and they would just leave me alone. Yeah. And so part of me is a little bit like, do these, the, the people that are attacking and like need to know if Kit Connor is bisexual or not, whatever. Like it part of me is like, I don't know, could you do the the like Nagin Farsad method? Would it work with the um right wing um bigots and just like ignore because it's it's way less interesting for them if they can't get a rise out of you and they can't get it, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. you know, again, I don't know what it's like. Obviously, like this kid was in a more uh, high, more higher profile show, but still, I, I I think there's like something about tactic here, and that the need for everybody to always respond to a thing online, and I feel like mm-hmm. 
just don't. I mean, why do right. you, you know what I mean? Right. For a long time, we, for a lo- I mean, for the long, before social media, uh, if you came under cat- attack, you probably wouldn't respond. I mean, it's, it's again, part of this mm-hmm. culture of kind of oversharing, overreacting or something, you know? And so, uh, again, ignore your trolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're way too nice. <laughs> Yeah, well, when I had, I felt it's funny because I would, when I had the time or whatever, I would like write the nice responses. But then, um, and th- but then when the just the volume was too much, there was a time for like a full week or something like I could not go on on Twitter because it was just too overrun with that stuff. And when when the volume became too much, I was just like, well, I just have to wait this out, you know. And then I'll go back to Twitter in a week or something when it's all done. But um, I I I, I do think there's like a weird. It's like you kind of can in some way. And I mean, Margaret, you probably have a lot to say about this, like define the type of celebrity you I wonder, do you, can you control the kind of celebrity that you are like what kind of access you ha- give to fandom? Like what is your, you know, relationship to fandom, basically? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not really sure exactly because I was uh, really um bombarded with a lot of trolling in the very dawn of the internet, the dawn of trolling in like 2003. So, you know, I had made disparaging remarks about the Bush administration, (laughs) which now I realize I feel I'm, I apologize to George W. Bush. He wasn't that bad. Not (laughs) in comparison comparison to what we have now. I, I wish we could have them back again. You know what? They were great. Uh, all of the bushes, but um, yeah, back then I was really critical of it, and then I got really a lot of crazy trolling, and I was really upset, you know. And I would feel like I'd have to remark on it, and I have to do something about it, and then, and then, like so. Nowadays, I really don't even seek out anybody who even vaguely disagrees, because I just am so sensitive. I'm like so overly sensitive, but by. by you know, I think my own trial by fire in the beginning of it. And I just, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to fight with anybody because I already know what I know. I, nothing's going to change my mind. Um, I, I, I get really protective of my own peace that way. So I, I kind of hold it at bay to an extent. And also, you know, we're all women of color here. And I mean, there have been studies shown that, you know, at least women of color, I mean, we're attacked, journalists in particular, we're attacked more. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, at the Globe, and I'm sure in other newsrooms, too, um, we go through training on how to deal with social media, how to Ooh. deal with the trolls. And what I do remember, they say? Well, they just, I mean, they actually they're split on whether or not you should quote unquote feed the trolls. And so I've just, mm. and then sometimes it's better to have, I mean, you shouldn't respond. You know, the person who's under attack should not respond, but maybe their allies respond, mm-hmm. you know, um, on their behalf. And I remember sitting in this one session where, um, you know, a white male colleague was like, when I write, I never get this kind of reaction on social media compared to my, you know, women, my my female colleagues, in particular, my uh, female colleagues of color. They're they're the ones that are are, are they're they're treated brutally online, and I mean it's really a reflection of society, right? I mean what happens yeah. uh, online. I mean we also, uh, you know, face a lot of. Uh, trauma and and discrimination in real life so so it's an extension of that yeah it's mm. it's the, the i honestly like i think it's definitely true because 
I've done a lot of guest hosting for different like radio things, whatever. And I'll get like hate mail about my voice, right? But then the male people that, you know, friends of mine that also guest host for the same thing won't get the the hate mail. You're so great, right? That, that'll be the reaction. I, I mean, love I'll you. Get, I'll get a lot of you're so great and all that. Yeah. So I get a lot of that, but I, they, I also will get a little yeah. hate mail. The hate and mail. It's the yeah. little hate, and it's funny because a younger comic did a thing and she was like, oh, I got, you know, I know you did this thing. Did you get hate mail for it? And I was like, yeah, totally. And she's like, oh, phew. I thought I was the only one. I was like, no, no, no. You and literally every woman, but like give mm-hmm. it, but it's decreased in, in, in over time. I don't get as much as I did when I start with you know when my my faceless voice started hitting airwaves um and so I think it's just a matter of like getting people used to this uh, octave in this range um <laughs> but like eventually you know what I mean so I feel like the, I, I, in so many ways I feel like it's funny you mentioned the 70s were such a crazy time I feel like we're almost like doing this crazy time again um where we're in the flux and every Everyone's like yelling and um, it, it, we probably have more yelling than they did in the 70s. But there's still a, there's just a lot more d- range of art and people that we're seeing. And so mm-hmm. and it's like this this kind of um, this guinea pig phase. We're all trying to figure it out. And then I think five years from now, like these conversations will pop. I'm going to say optimistically, we're going to just all have it settled. It'll be a real utopia in five years. That's a good timeline. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Let's stick to it, folks. Uh, um, let us now move on to uh, topic number three. So, okay. We read a letter in the advice column in Slate titled, My husband still wants me to be the party animal from our youth. I'm not a part of that scene anymore. And let me just read you her question. She said, I've, I've changed and my husband hasn't. We have two kids, 11 and 7. Our 11-year-old has autism, and caring for him takes a lot of time and energy, not to mention trying to balance love and attention for my 7-year-old. And I don't mind it at all. I love being a mother, but my husband keeps accusing me of being done with him now that now that I had our children I want to do family things and he wants to and he wants the carefree partying version of me before we had children and the fact is I don't enjoy the scene anymore drugs and alcohol throw off my equilibrium I have bipolar disorder I've done it occasionally for his benefit but I'm miserable I don't mind if he does that stuff with a friend I'd much rather stay home with the kiddos uh, he's happy and I, he's unhappy and I don't think I should have to change or regress to please him is our marriage over so let us address this woman's problem Margaret do you think this marriage is over I don't think the marriage is over I think it's just got to be uh, really reassessed in, in a way of that like why is he so st- stuck in trying to bring back the partying years that's a really uh kind of a not a good place to be in as you get older I think I mean I think there's ways to do it that's responsible and that is uh something that can capture that but you know to me I think it's I don't know I I don't think I don't think that's appropriate for anybody that's getting older I think we can definitely have fun but it's just weird for somebody who wants to stay there yeah especially and they have a family. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like he's also a parent. So right. I feel like that's so odd. 
it's sure. not odd because I'm living this right now. What? Um, okay. What's going on is midlife crisis. This is mm. a man going mm. through midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband and I were in our early 50s. I also have a 10-year-old. Twelve. We have a 10-year-old and 12-year-old. We have a 12-year-old also on the autism spectrum. Um, oh, my God. It, did you write it, this letter? I didn't write it. I, did, I swear <laughs> to God, I didn't write it. Uh, and it's really interesting because this year, my husband's gone on this kick. He wants to go to all these concerts now because all the... Uh, you know, I guess we're Gen X and and all the people that we grew up listening to are still on tour and the tickets are really affordable. You know, it's like, it's like you, you, they're not like Taylor Swift, like, you know, $1,500. Right. Like you can, you go can see actually a, get the ticket. You can yeah. get the tickets and they're like $55. Actually, the babysitting bill is more expensive than the tickets, you know? <laughs> and so like, like I, I can't, I've seen more concerts or about to see more concerts than I have in my entire life. I mean, we, we saw Steve Miller. I mean, he's like 79. He was really good. Mm. We saw the Counting Crows. Uh, we're seeing Amy Mann. Uh, you know, we're actually going on vacation in L.A., uh, where you are, Margaret, and we're going to see Amy Mann at Greek Theater. You know, <laughs> like, we're, even on vacation, we're going concerts. We're seeing Van Morrison and then uh, I think the Eagles. He got tickets to the—he was stressed. He's like, should we get tickets to the Eagles? I was like, if you can get them— uh, I, I guess I'll go with you. But that's the other thing. You know, he doesn't have a lot of, you know, you know, as men get older, some of them don't have a lot of friends. You know, they they really just, yeah. their friends, just, right? And so suddenly I feel out of obligation. I have to go to, the, to these concerts with them. So I'm going to, all, so, I mean, I feel a little bit of like a party pooper because I, all I can think about is like, oh, I gotta, I gotta do the logistics of the kids. And I've got to, if we, if we go see a concert here, I gotta get a hotel. I'm I'm like, this is too much, but I'm I'm humoring him and going to these concerts, (laughs) not making him find someone else or go alone. I mean, I love concerts though. That's, that's a little bit different than doing drugs and partying. Like to me, concerts are really, I, I go to them all the time and I will probably always go to them. So that's not necessarily what I imagine as this like partying. Well, atmosphere. I guess to me, like I'm, I'm such a like I'm so into my work. You know, I'm so into my mm. family that it is, it is akin to partying. Yeah, <laughs> going yeah, to a concert yeah. is akin to being for a sure. party animal for me. You know, for sure. <laughs> but for I sure. do, That's I funny. do think there's something about like. Dude, you know, like my my husband has friends, but like he doesn't see them as much. Like I need, I actually like really make it a point to see my friends. I do not get from him what I get from my friends. I do need to see my friends, and I think that's part of the issue here. Is like this guy needs to feel young, but it has to be with his wife. Like, can you not go feel young with one of the one of your boys, and then like, you know what I mean? If you have to do drugs, like I don't know. There's I think there's like arrangements that can happen. Like you don't have to get all of those feelings from one person. Mm. And just because I don't think the marriage back to that uh, the column winner. I don't. I don't think the marriage is over. I do feel that they just have to set expectations, you know, and um, maybe not go back to partying days, but but maybe get out. I mean, you know, it can be when your kids are that age. It's been a decade from diapers to to middle school and. Um, for the often 
all the res- a lot of the childcare responsibility finds falls on the wife, and so we're just in we're just in the thick of things. We're we're, we're in survival mode, right? We're we're just we're we're in charge of the school, uh, all the you know school, and also um, doctors' appointments. I mean, we almost don't have time for anything else. I mean, I, that's that's what I see is going on in in this marriage. But you also, know? even regardless of even if you have kids, like all of my single friends who are like in their late 30s or 40s don't drink as much don't do as many drugs because their bodies just can't snap back the way they used Mm. to so i don't know i have some weird advice for her which is like why don't you do it for a week (laughs) like and he'll be like oh my god this sucks i have headaches like i can't wake up i can't you know what i mean like your body doesn't snap back from like from drugs and alcohol the way it used to i think for like most people i don't know Mar- margaret's like no my body's great <laughs> she's looking at me skeptically no i mean i just think it's really like don't even do it like i'm like oh it's such a weird way like, drugs weird. are never that fun and they're not i mean as you get older, it's just worse and worse. But a midlife crisis is like they they want danger. They want excitement. Right. So maybe there's other ways of seeking that that are not necessarily partying. It's funny because my cousin did, I get, for his midlife crisis, he bought some motorcycles. And mm-hmm. um, that he would, also he would like practice them or whatever on a track or something. Mm-hmm. He actually had an accident on the track. <laughs> And luckily, I mean, I can laugh about it now, but it was like very terrible this accident. And um, and then he got, you know, and then he he was in the hospital got over for days. Yeah, yeah. But he, is he he's, still on he's, a motorcycle? He's totally, he's totally fine. Yeah, everything's yeah. fine. But it was like questionable for a minute. You know what I mean? Uh, we were all very worried, and I was I. But it is like a danger thing that he needed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I. It's like I would love to just help these guys out and I don't know is there other can you do like a rock climbing wall at a gym and get some thrills like I don't know something with like a padded landing um I I I just I just I am it's I mean maybe haven't gotten there and and I also just think like midlife crises don't strike women in the same way I don't like have very many female friends that are like having the same inclinations I don't know and that's Mm -hmm. that's obviously like a very gendered um generalization so who knows but uh but I I like your I like your idea of just one all-nighter, one 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 party, one party night, and see what happens. You're right. I think I think if if the if the couple's older, I, I think he'll realize that I'm not I'm not as young and I can't do this anymore, and then that will be it. Because it seems like he has he has an itch to scratch. Right, and mm-hmm. also he's probably. I mean, we didn't get the sense from this letter, but I imagine he's like a decent father, or like a loving father. He cares about his kids. If he has like to do whatever f- fifteen errands that are kid related the next day with that hangover right i mean what are we even talking no. about here horrible horrible <laughs> so maybe she she front loads his to do list you know what i mean goes on a bender and then the next day he has to do these 15 things none of them get done and the children end up staying home from school that's that's my uh, my recommendation, folks. What do you think? Uh, is their marriage doomed, or do they have um, 
do they have many more merry years to come? I think they have merry years to come. They'll put in the work. They'll be out. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> All right. And uh, that, my friends, is the end of the show. The two of you are just so utterly fantastic. And I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you follow you on all the wonderful things that you do. Margaret Cho, where do they do that? And remind us of your tour. Um, my tour is called Live and Livid. And you, get, you can get tickets on margaretcho.com. I'll probably be coming to where you are. So check it out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Margaret Cho, on Instagram at Margaret underscore Cho, and on TikTok at the Margaret Cho. Um, Folks, go to this show. If you've never seen Margaret Cho live, this is, it's something you should, it should be a a part of your summer plans, a part of your fall plans, however long this tour lasts. It's such a delight. It's such a joy. Um, Shirley Leung, where do people find you? Yes, I am. Uh, write a column for the Boston Globe. I'm also uh, the host of Say More with Shirley Leung. Uh, you can. It's a half hour show. We put on. Um, if, when you think of Boston, we have big thinkers, big innovators, but we don't. I always don't get the chance. I don't have the chance to talk to them, and so this is my chance to talk to the biggest thinkers and innovators. Uh, and it's you can find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, folks. Get to to the subscribing button on your podcast machine um, for Shirley Leung's show. It sounds phenomenal. Uh, And you know where to find me in all things that I do. And just as a reminder, I think by the time this airs, I may be uh, in uh, St. Paul on August. I'll be in St. Paul on August 18th and Kansas City on August 19th. I think this will be airing right before that. So, yes. So you could still help get tickets as part of the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand-up tour. And then on August 24th, I'll be in Chicago doing a regular Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So join me for that if you're in Chicago. And then I'll be coming back at you with some fall stuff that's going on um and i want to thank everyone who makes the show a possibility that's our fantastic producer andrew mcguire thanks to everyone at headgum and thank you to gobby alter for our theme music you can email us at fake the nation podcast at gmail.com again that's fake the nation podcast at gmail.com to send us any um ideas you have also we're do we're getting back to races to watch that's electoral contests to watch um so like hit me up with any of those and we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a headgum podcast.